Proverbs 18 and verse 9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. It's a reminder that God is a worker. He created us for work and later redeemed us to be his co-workers. And yes, your work and mine matters to God. The slacker is someone who destroys the company work ethic and morale. As Christians, our work cannot be separated from our witness. Carl Henry, one of the most respected theologians of the 20th century said, the work of the Christian ought not to be of such questionable caliber that it disgraces God, discredits one's employer, and affronts society. Is it time for you to pick up the slack at work? I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Did you know that the old-fashioned American work ethic, the one we see all the way back in the 18th century, was rooted in the pages of Scripture? Hello and welcome to this Thursday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. I'm Brian Davis, always glad to have you with us. And it's true, our founding fathers built America's foundation on God's Word. That includes the idea of rewarding people who were willing to work for what they had. Today, Ron will challenge you to take a good look at your own work ethic as he continues his teaching series, Wise Sayings, Guidance for Everyday Life. Stay with us now or listen anytime on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Stick around after today's message when Ron joins me to talk about an important new resource he wants to share with you. But first, let's join him for his message, Wisdom While You Work. In fact, I did a little calculation this week and discovered that if you work 40 years, say from age 25 to age 65, and you worked a 40-hour work week, uh, you'd spend nine and a half years. Yeah, nine and a half years at the office or your place of work. Does God have anything to say to followers of Jesus Christ, to people of faith, with regard to our work and how we do our work. Does it even matter? Does God even uh, think about how we do our work? Well, certainly he does. Before we dive into the book of Proverbs and other places, this topic actually takes me back to the 17th century. Takes me back to the early 1600s when a group of people who were fleeing religious persecution on the other side of the Atlantic made their way to this great land this land that eventually became the United States of America. Some of you historians out there, you're already ahead of me. You know who I'm talking about. They were known as the Puritans. And when the Puritans arrived, uh, we we could talk a lot about the Puritans and what they brought to this land, but one of the things they brought is something that's commonly referred to as the Puritan work ethic. You ever heard of that? Uh, Maybe you've heard of it more commonly referred to as just the great old American work ethic. And yes, the American worker, he or she is the greatest worker on earth. There's no greater worker on earth than the American worker. But we have to go all the way back to the early 17th century to understand why and and what the Puritans brought with them. They brought with them a work ethic that was influenced by their faith and by the pages of Scripture. That old Puritan work ethic uh, that morphed into what we call the good old-fashioned American work ethic finds its roots 
in the faith of the people who came here uh, many years and many decades even before the United States of America became a reality. One of the things that is true about the Puritan work ethic is they, they didn't see a distinction between the sacred and the secular. They, they didn't divide life into two categories like that. They saw everything as sacred. In fact, the Puritan was commonly known to say things like this, the farmer who plows his fields is just as called to plowing his fields as the preacher who preaches his sermons. And that's pretty good theology. That's understanding that the work that God gives to us, whatever work that is, that all legitimate work that God gives is a sacred trust where you pour in your time and your talents and, yes, perhaps even your treasure to make that work happen. Uh, Work for the Puritan was a sacred trust, and they worked as unto the Lord. And there were a couple of verses of Scripture that influenced that Puritan work ethic. One is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, where the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago said, if anyone is unwilling to work, let him not eat. In other words, if an able-bodied man or woman is unable or rather unwilling to work, shouldn't get any food stamps, shouldn't even eat. Because, because we, we work We work for those kinds of things, right? And any government program today, and and I'm all for the safety nets and welfare and all that, but if it doesn't lead to work, if we don't go from welfare to work, it's a bad government policy, and it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. If anyone is unwilling to work, not unable, I understand that, but unwilling, able-bodied but unwilling to work, if the program disincentivizes someone from working, and they just continue drawing off the program. That's a bad program. If anyone's unwilling to work, let him not eat. The other, the other influence in the Puritan work ethic probably came from Colossians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote this to slaves in the first century. He says, I I, I get the whole thing that your masters may be overbearing, but one of the things that may change your attitude, even as a slave, one of the things that may change your attitude in the workplace, if you work for a, a really overbearing boss, let's just say, is see the Lord as your employer. Work as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, whether you're sweeping floors or teaching at a university, driving a truck or some other form of work, whatever you do, work heartily. Give your whole heart to it. And the Puritans brought this kind of work ethic to this land. And I want to suggest to you, friends, that when the good old-fashioned Puritan, let's say American work ethic, met the free enterprise system, the greatest nation on earth was built from the ground up. It really was. Influenced by people of faith who understood their work to be a sacred trust that God had given to them, they built this great nation from the ground up. Now, I believe one of the greatest threats to America today, and there are many, but one that I'll highlight this morning is socialism. And here's why. Among other things, socialism, by the way, don't confuse it with social justice or being socially conscious or, or, or taking care of social needs. All of that is good in its proper place. It has nothing to do with socialism. Socialism, among other things, 
sounds something like this, where a socialist comes up to a worker and says, you didn't build that. And if the socialist can convince the worker he didn't build it, it's not long before that same socialist comes back and says, oh, by the way, you don't own it either. Because under a socialistic government system, the government owns the means of production. They get there incrementally or progressively in a society. They take a little bit here, a little bit there, convince you you, don't, you didn't build that, come back later, now you don't own it. Oh, under socialism, you can own your own house, but there are no small business owners under socialism. The government owns the means of production so then they can redistribute wealth. And what happens is those people who've got that good old-fashioned American work ethic and they're rolling up their sleeves, they're going hard to work, they're seeing more and more of their money taken away, and more and more people who are just kind of standing there with their hand out looking for a freebie for somebody to redistribute wealth and put it in their hands, wealth that they never earned, that they never worked for. And in time, those hardworking people look around and say, well, why don't I just join that crowd? I don't need to work my tail off over here. And when you reach a point in a society, a tipping point, where you have more people with their hand out looking for a freebie than you have working hands, that's when a nation ceases to be great. Nobody is building that nation from the ground up generation after generation. And what I see happening in our society today really concerns me because you have the erosion of the, uh, the Christian values and, and, and the uh, demonization of Christianity in our culture today, and with that, the erosion of the good old-fashioned American work ethic that was rooted in the pages of Scripture itself back in the early 17th century. Are you with me so far? So with that in mind, and before we get to Proverbs, I want to give you a little brief theology of work, a biblical theology of work, just, just some, some high points here, starting in the book of Genesis. Number one, God is a worker. He's a worker. And we find this in the creation story. There's not a lazy bone in the Almighty's body. Because when he appears on the pages of Scripture, when he explodes onto the scene in the creation story, God is at work creating the heavens and the earth. And the Bible says he worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. In fact, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2 summarizes the creation story and says, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God is a worker from eternity past, and certainly as we begin, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He he jumps into the pages of Scripture working. And he didn't rest on the seventh day because he was tired. He rested for two primary reasons, to give us who are created in his image a rhythm of life. Work for six days and then rest. Work for six days and then rest. And haven't you noticed how we've even eroded from there? Now we work five days, rest two. In some countries, socialist countries, they advocate a four-day, even a three-day work week. A far cry from the biblical standard of six days of work, one day of rest. But God also rested on the seventh day to foreshadow a spiritual principle that we run into in the Gospels and in the New Testament, and that's that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He was the Lord of the Sabbath, we'll find out, and he is our Sabbath rest. So 
But what I want us to see from Genesis is God is a worker, and His work continues today. In fact, Psalm chapter 111 says, the works of His hands are truth and justice. You come into the Gospels, into the teachings of Jesus, John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Jesus came here to do the work of the Father. And then in John chapter 5 and verse 18, right after Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, (laughs) that was a bad thing to do, right? Made all the Pharisees mad. You're not supposed to lift a finger. You're supposed to, you know, they didn't understand Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath. And it was a foreshadowing of him being our Sabbath rest. I don't have time to go into all that theology right now, but Jesus responded to those Pharisees in John 5 and verse 18 to say, my father is always at work to this very day, and I am working too. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Listen to Ron's messages on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, check out Something Good Courses, where you'll find Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, a free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. That's Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, where you'll discover what being a disciple of Christ is all about and learn how to help others grow in their faith. Now, from the book of Proverbs, here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Wisdom While You Work. So the God of the Bible is a working God. Jesus came to work the works of his heavenly Father and to fulfill the eternal purposes and works that God had ordained from the beginning of time. All of that to say uh, this, work has intrinsic value. It has intrinsic value because God himself is a worker. Secondly, God created us to work. We're just laying a brief theology of work here. God created us to work. Again, go back to Genesis uh, chapter 2 and the creation story. God created man in his own image. And then it says in chapter 2 and verse 15, the Lord God took the man, that is Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I always say from Genesis chapter 2 that God gave a man three things. Gave him work, gave him his word, and gave him a wife, all right? And you got to work all three of those. you got, you got to engage in all three of those. Uh, here he gave him work to do. He says, Adam, I want you to take care of the garden. Adam's first job was a gardener, okay? Physical work. And then he told Adam, I want you to name all the animals. There's intellectual work. So there was both physical and intellectual work, and one was not elevated above the other. But from the beginning, God created us to work and even to join him in his work. Now, by Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall of man. Uh, Satan, in the form of a serpent, uh, slithers his way into the Garden of Eden and tempts Eve, and, and Adam joins in on that, and they sin, and, well, <laughs> the rest is our history, too, because All of that was passed down to us. And we live today in a fallen, sinful world, having inherited a sin nature from Adam. All the the evils and all the difficulties and all the struggles we have in our world today is because this is a broken world. It's a fallen world. That's that's the biblical view of it. And in a fallen world, Genesis chapter 3, work became more difficult. Some people say God cursed the work at that time. No, he didn't curse the work. Read the the story carefully. He cursed the ground. Work still has intrinsic value. 
But he cursed the ground and he said to Adam, now it's going to become more difficult for you to till the land and to keep the garden. Thistles and all kinds of other stuff are going to grow up from there and it's just just going to be hard. So I always say this notion of the daily grind that we talk about started in Genesis chapter 3. And human beings like you and me have been grinding out our work, you know, ever since then. So God is a worker. God created us to work. Thirdly, God redeemed us to be His co-workers. This is where it gets really fun. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. Uh, Imagine teaming up with God. Imagine partnering with Him in His eternal and redemptive purposes as He carries out His work in the world today. Uh, he, He sees us as followers of Jesus Christ, as His co-workers. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so all of that to say your work and my work, it matters to God. It has intrinsic value. Now, having said all of that, uh, I want us now to turn our attention to the book of Proverbs. And there is a, a character, there's a person mentioned in the book of Proverbs that's uh, kind of one of my, my favorite because it, it, his name is so uh, humorous. He's called the sluggard. The sluggard. Just say that. Say that. The sluggard. You, you can't say sluggard without a little bit of a smile on your face, right? You ever meet a sluggard? Uh, I'm not talking about a slugger. A slugger in baseball is a good thing. A sluggard is a bad thing. It's somebody who's lazy and slothful. Does God have a lot to say in the Bible about our work and how we do it? Oh, yes, he does. And he's downloaded a lot of wisdom, divine guidance for our everyday life in terms of how we work. And he takes aim at the sluggard in the pages of the book of Proverbs. And Solomon is wise enough as a father to have this conversation about his sons who are growing up and are one day going to go into the work world. And he's giving them them some advice, advice about how to be diligent and how to be prosperous and how to be a good worker. And he warns about the sluggard. My favorite passage in Proverbs, one of them is Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Uh, this is one of the most poetic uh, passages in the book of Proverbs. And, and Solomon comes at this subject with a little bit of poetry and a little bit of humor to try to disarm his sons and get the truth into their hearts that way. Look at it with me beginning in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and want like an armed man. That's good stuff. I mean, that's that's good literature. That's, That's poetic literature. And if you're kind of the sluggard type or you know a sluggard or if you're Solomon talking to your kids, you you want to use whatever tool you can to kind of awaken the sleepiness and the sluggardness in the sluggard. Here he uses poetic words to get his attention. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber. That's good stuff, isn't it?
Thanks for being here for today's message, Wisdom While You Work. To hear any of Dr. Ron Jones' messages on demand, stop by somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, please know you're always invited to share your prayer request with us. Click on Explore from the homepage, then look for the How Can We Pray For You option. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All Scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it. God gave us a lot of scripture, 66 books and more than 600,000 words, and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word and see how it all fits together so brilliantly, how every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes. Volume 1 covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while Volume 2 takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order, and I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 Digital Library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these literary travel guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible teaching pastor for more than 30 years, the ultimate road trip through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox. I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to the ultimate road trip through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before you dive into the details of any book of the Bible. That's why I'll be ordering my own copy, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. And you can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours for a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757 757- 
276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. I've always said that Christians in the workplace ought to be the best workers. I think that was true of people early on in our nation who were influenced by their faith. Certainly the Puritans brought that work ethic. It should never be said, an employer should never say, I'll never hire a Christian again because they're dishonest and lazy. The opposite should be said. We should understand the sacred trust that God has given to us in this thing called work that has intrinsic value. Your work matters to God. One day, every one of us will stand before the Lord and give an account of our time and our talents and yes, even our treasure. How'd you do with it? What did you do with it? That's tomorrow in part two of Ron's message, Wisdom While You Work. Join us then for Something Good for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis saying so long and thanks for listening.